0: What a great song, man. Pull out a little bit of One Republic Church. I'm not sure you're allowed to do that, but that's a cool song. You know, there's so many things that that song will preach when it comes to dealing with money, when it comes to the way that we see our lives. The the things that that are wrong feel so right. The things that are right feel wrong when it comes to the way that we manage things. But the reality is, uh, at some point, it'll all be done and we're not going to be counting dollars anymore we're going to be counting stars right it's talking about the fact that this life doesn't last very long so this idea of of what feels right or what's right feels wrong what's wrong feels right it jumps off from the series that we did called Transformed, about how God changes us, and He changes us from the inside, and, our, and the big changes that happen in our life is when we begin to think about things in a different way. When we, we begin to change our minds, God begins to change our hearts, and when He begins to change our minds and hearts, we begin to change our actions and the way that we do what we do. So today we're in a message series called Live Free. I'm Jeff Forster. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are really excited about this message series as we talk about managing our finances God's way. And so today the message title is called A New Kind of Normal. You'll be able to track along a little bit in your program if you'd like to fill in a few blanks and read a few of the verses with us. And I'm going to give you a warning. Today's message is about money. And uh, let's be honest with that just up front. Right? Is this an abatement switch? It is. It's about money, but relax, guys. You can you can go ahead and release the grip a little bit on your wallet. I'm not going to try to dig into it today, ladies. You can you can stop hugging your purse so tightly. We're not going to pickpocket you today. We're not going to talk about the church's money or that you need to give more money to the church today. Instead, we're going to talk about your money and how God wants you to manage it. The Bible addresses money over and over and over again. There's over 2,300 scriptures that talk about money and debt and discipline and wealth building and stuff management. Jesus talked about money a lot. He talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell and salvation combined. Why is it that those of us in the church tend to tense up when we see that the message is gonna be about money? A lot of us, I don't think uh, this is gonna hurt today. Some believe that church shouldn't stick their nose into members' money. Other people think that a pastor should never talk about money from the platform. I'll just tell you, I'm not a very good pastor, so we're just going to go, that's not even an argument. We'll just keep moving. Some assume that a, a sermon about money is only a thinly veiled plea for an increase in giving. But the truth is, how you manage your money is intensely spiritual. It's an incredibly powerful spiritual issue. This is literally an issue of slavery versus freedom. And I wouldn't be doing my job as your pastor if if, if I didn't talk to you about that. And so we're going to dig into it. If you're going to live by the Bible, if you and I are going to say, hey, this book matters to us, the Bible matters to us, then we've got to live by the whole book. And that means that we need to open up our checkbooks next to God's book and see how do those two measure up. What do we find? So for the next few minutes, we're going to look at three general biblical principles about money. And then we'll talk uh, uh, about an exciting new initiative that we're kicking off this week that I think will bring tremendous freedom if you choose to engage in it. So if you want to, grab your notes and uh, start filling in a few blanks. Principle number one is this. We're going to build a whole series around these principles. Principle number one is money is a powerful force. Money is an incredibly powerful force force. It's not as powerful as God and if you've made money your God it'll always disappoint you. There'll never be enough. But it is a very powerful force in our life and we need to recognize that the the power that money wields in our lives. But we also don't want to take it to the point that it gets unhealthy or that we start to have an unhealthy view. Uh, sometimes Christians will get kind of high and mighty and they make some really big broad statements about money that aren't necessarily true. So we don't want to take it too far. We don't want to distort what God has to say about money. As a matter of fact, there's two major distortions from a biblical perspective about money and each one showing a different extreme of its power. One, if you're filling the blanks, is this. Money is a sign of God's blessing and poverty is a sign of God's displeasure. A lot of people will say that. People will say, well, if you don't have a lot of money, then God's just not pleased with you. God's displeased with you. That's why you're poor. Or, wow, God's really blessing that guy. That guy must really be blessed. God finds great favor in that guy because he's wealthy. And both of those positions are wrong. If this statement were true, that that money is a sign of God's blessing, then why would Jesus warn, warn people about how difficult it is for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God? Here's what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I'll tell you the truth. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to point out, uh, you can circle the word hard. Jesus doesn't say it's impossible, right? Jesus doesn't say if you're rich, you can't go to heaven. He's just saying it's it's difficult. It's difficult for somebody to enter into the kingdom of heaven if you have a lot of earthly wealth. And again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So he's not saying that rich people can't go to heaven He's saying that sometimes the more that we have, the harder it is for us to see our need for God. We get so distracted with other things that we're so satisfied with our own abilities. Sometimes we don't see our need for God. And if you dig into the rest of Jesus' teaching about finances and wealth, this is like one of the only significant warnings about it. That Jesus isn't against you having stuff. He's against stuff having you. Sometimes our stuff becomes our God and we feel like we don't need a God. That's what he's hinting at there. And if poverty is a sign of God's displeasure, then why would the Bible say many different times in many different ways, it says stuff like this, better to be poor and honest than to be dishonest and rich. Oftentimes the Bible would, would praise the idea that, hey, if you've got to make a choice between ripping people off or being dishonest and rich or being honest and, and, and not having quite as much, always choose honesty. It's always right to do right, the Bible says. So he's not saying that if you're rich... You're blessed, and if you're, you know, and the God likes you more, and if you're poor, God's displeased with you. Now, those sometimes can be symptoms. Sometimes those things uh, have a certain amount of truth in them, but it's not a universal statement. You can't just say God has, has uh, uh, shown favor to the wealthy and displeasure to the poor. The issue here isn't the amount of money involved. The real issue is the condition of the heart. Where is your heart? You notice when he's talking about being wealthy, he's talking about how difficult it is for our hearts to come to God when when our hearts are attached to our stuff. And when he's talking about the poor, he's saying it's more important to be honest, right? Again, he's talking about your heart. But... We act a lot of times like we believe this. Sometimes we act like we really believe that if if God was going to bless me, he'd give me more stuff. and, And God must be really displeased with me. That's why I don't have more stuff. And I think a lot of churches fall into this same trap. Sometimes they wind up giving special treatment to wealthy members because they give more money. And in this, we wind up getting very confused. This is nothing new, though. In the book of James, chapter 2, James was Jesus' brother. He also was the first pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the very first church, and and, uh, was a a great leader, and he wrote a fantastic little book. It's not very long. It's towards the end of the Bible. If you take a New Testament or a Bible and just go uh, Revelation, you go back like five books, and there's James, this little, like, short little book. But in it, he talks about the fact that even among Christians, sometimes we get this skewed view of the way that we treat people. And so the wealthy wind up being shown special attention while the poor were being ignored in the church. And James is calling them out on it. As a matter of fact, Scripture comes down very hard on this issue that we would treat the wealthy in a a different way than we treat the poor. That we would treat the poor in a lesser way than we would treat the wealthy. Here's what the Bible says. James says, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in scriptures, which is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't this what Jesus said? Love God with all of who you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said those are the two greatest commandments. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin and you're guilty of breaking the law. What law? This law of loving your neighbor as yourself. If you treat somebody, specifically James chapter 2 is talking about how we treat poor people and wealthy people in the church. He says, if you treat poor people lesser, then he says, you're breaking Jesus' law to love God and love other people. Another major misconception about money is this. Money is evil. Sometimes people will talk about money is evil. And that's just wrong. It's not true. Money is not inherently good or bad. Money is amoral. It's without Morality. There's no morality attached to money. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't say that money itself is evil. It's amoral. It doesn't have any morality directly attached to it. You aren't evil if you have money, and you aren't good if you don't. Think of money like a pile of bricks. Right? Think of it. So we got a big old pile of bricks here. Money is a lot like a, a, a pile of bricks. You can take those bricks and you can throw them through a window or you can smack somebody on the head with them and that would be a bad thing. Or you could take those same bricks and you could build a hospital or a church. The bricks don't care. The bricks just become more of what the, what the person is who's holding them. If the person is wanting to do good, that brick winds up doing good. If, if, if the person holding that brick is doing, wanting to do evil, then of course it can enhance that opportunity to do evil. Money's the same way. Money doesn't do anything on its own. It only does what you tell it to do. So the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says that the love of money. Again, it's a heart issue. This is the thing we confuse all the time. Money, and this is why we don't like talking about it and why we get mad when pastors talk about it is because we love it so much. It's, it's, it's a part of, of, of what's inside of us. It's, it's, a, it's a heart issue. We don't want to admit it's a heart issue, but it is. For the love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the truth, the true faith, and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Money's a magnifier. It takes on the characteristics of the person holding it, and it makes them more of who they already are. So if a jerk is holding a pile of money, he's going to have bigger and bolder opportunities <laughs> to be a jerk. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Huh? Uh, there's uh, somebody that maybe that you went to high school with or college with, and they were already jerks. Now they're rich, and they're just rich jerks, right? The more you have sometimes, it just makes you the more, more of what you were. But if a godly person is holding a pile of money, then then she's going to be able to, to have bigger and bolder opportunities to help other people, to serve other people, and to serve the Lord. Again, money doesn't care. Money is neutral. It's just magnifying the person that's holding it. That's the issue. Number two, principle number two, if you fill in the blanks, principle number two is this. So the first big principle that, that we talked about uh, just a moment ago is that money is a very powerful force. The second principle is this, money expands and limits our options. Money expands our options and money can limit our options. This is a big one. This is why you and I, uh, we, we kind of think that money would solve most of our problems. If I just had more money, I would have more options. But because I have less money, I have fewer options. And so sometimes we start to believe that, just, uh, 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 that money is our answer, and we can start to make money our God. But it's true, money does expand or limit our options. But again, the answer is in our heart. It's a heart issue. So here's what the Bible says. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. We read this verse last week. I'm going to bet you we're going to... Well, we shouldn't be betting while we're talking about a, 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 a money thing here. I, I, I'm going to guess we'll use that verse again multiple times over the next couple of weeks. The, the Bible says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Did you hear that? The borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, what this verse doesn't say is this. The, the, this verse does not say debt is sinful, Or it's wrong to go into debt. It it, it doesn't say it's a sin to go in debt. But what it does say, what this verse says, is debt creates a master-slave relationship. So the question is, you know, you might ask, is it a sin to go into debt? And I can honestly say, no, it's not a sin to go into debt. Do you want to be a slave, though? Do you want to give up your freedom for slavery? If I asked you that question, most of them, no. I don't want to give up my freedom for, to be a slave. And it's kind of the same thing. God doesn't say it's a sin. God just says, man, it's going to have a major impact on your life. A slave doesn't have any choices. A slave can't give money because he doesn't own anything. A slave can't come and go as he pleases because he has no freedom. A slave may want to give or a slave may want to serve or a slave may want to grow in their life, but at the end of the day, he has a master who's calling all the shots, who's forcing him to do certain things because he's a slave. Sure, he, he, they, they can give a little bit of time, they can give a little bit of service, but all of that giving is limited by the master. And for too many of us, that master is Visa, or that master is MasterCard, or the master is and Loans. That's why this is such an intensely spiritual issue. We're talking about our very freedom to go and to do and to serve as God directs you. Let's put it more in, in uh, practical terms. This might be useful to you. Have you ever borrowed money from your parents? <laughs> How'd that work out for you? <laughs> right? Uh, many of us, perhaps, we, we've, we've borrowed money from our parents or loaned money to your kids. Right? You loan money to your kids. Uh, what did that do to the relationship? The majority of relationships, the majority of family members who wind up loaning or borrowing from family members, it winds up having a negative impact on the relationship. There was a a survey on uh, bankrate.com, and uh, it said 57% of those polled have seen a friendship or a relationship end because of losing money. 57% of the people uh, that were polled said, Yeah, I've lost a friendship or I've lost a good relationship with my brother, my sister, or whoever, my son, my daughter, because of loaning them money. 63% have seen someone skip out on repaying a friend or family member. 63% have. Of uh, The people that, were, uh, that responded to the poll said, yeah, I've seen people skip out. We, we'd loaned them money, and then they left. They never paid it back. And So how did you feel about that? It, it ruined the relationship. When you loan money to someone, even your own children, you immediately begin to ch- the, the relationship immediately begins to change. The family dynamic begins to change. The lender may not feel it. Maybe, maybe the lender was just, the Bible says this. If you loan money to a friend or you loan something to a friend, the best way to do it is to, in your heart, just give it to them. Not expect any repayment. Now, if they pay back, that's great. So oftentimes people will do that, right? You got a little bit of margin. You're willing to loan something to somebody. You, you loan it to your friend or to your kid or to your family member. And, and maybe it's not bothering you at all, but maybe it's putting a lot of pressure on that family member, that friend. They feel now like the relationship changed because they feel like uh, 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 they owe you something, and it's true. So one party will generally feel the pressure, and the other party probably doesn't realize it at all. But the principle holds true. Holds true whether we're talking about mom and dad being the lender or Visa or MasterCard. They're still the master, and you're still the slave. And Thanksgiving dinner doesn't taste quite as good when you're eating it with your master and not your mom and dad. Right? It's a little tougher. When you're a slave, you just don't have as many options. That's what the Bible's saying. So many of us feel so much stress in our finances, and it's because... It's, it, we have something else we'd like to get or something else we'd like to do, or we have some opportunity that pops up, but we can't respond to it because we're strapped. We already have other masters that are driving the way that we make decisions in our life. We've all been there. We hear of an opportunity, giving to a good cause or supporting a, a project or, or even just going to a concert with friends, and we have to pause for a minute and go, oh, I can't, I can't afford it. Our heart says, yeah, that'd be a great thing. It'd be awesome to hang out with my friends. It'd be awesome to make a difference. I'd love it, but I, I, I can't afford it. Meaning my master says, I can't redirect some of the funds I owe my master to go and do this thing or to be a part of this thing or to enjoy being with my friends. And this shows that our gut reaction really is, is focused on money and not uh, freedom to be able to do what God allows us to do or opens the doors for us. Think about this for a minute. When all of our money has someone else's name on it, we're just not as nimble. That's why we feel so frustrated. When, when all of our money has somebody else's name on it, MasterCard, Visa, uh, you know, uh, 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 the car company, your bank, whatever, the, the, the mortgage company, everybody has their name on our money. We can't, we don't, we're not nearly as nimble. We don't feel free. We're not able to respond to the opportunities that God sends our way. And so in that, we're living limited constrained enslaved lives this is why God's wisdom is so great if we would just decide you know what we're going to apply God's principles he says you'll always feel enslaved when you're in debt but you'll feel free you'll be free when you're not in debt so we'll talk about that principle number three is this money must be managed if I'm going to be a godly person if I'm going to do things God's way I have to manage my money and so the churchy word for managing money, the, the churchy word, the word that if, if you've been in church for very long at all, you've probably heard some pastor talk about stewardship. They'll use the word stewardship. We're going to talk about stewardship today. And the truth is most people, pastors and church members alike, don't really know what that term means. It's a, it, it makes us nervous. When most church members hear the word stewardship from the pulpit, they know what's coming next. They wind up grabbing their wallets and they're just going to sweat this one out. It doesn't mean to give. It doesn't mean to tithe. It doesn't mean to put money in the offering plate. It shouldn't be a code word for we want your money. Steward literally means manager. And the Bible uses that phrase over and over and over again about a steward being a good manager, somebody that was honest and and, and, and a person of integrity that manages things well. That's the truth in church. It's true in your own family that we need to be good stewards, good managers of what God has given us. The Bible has a lot of things to say about how we should manage our money. God requires us, requires that we manage what we have. Here's what Proverbs says, and, and this is one of my favorite passages. It applies to so many things. If you're, if you're a leader, it's important for you as a leader to know the state of your flocks. If you're a, a, a parent, it's important for you to know the state of your flocks. If you're managing what God gave you, it's important to you know, know the state of your flocks. The Bible says this, know the state of your flocks. And put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever, and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. After the hay is harvested and the new crop appears and the mountain grasses are gathered in, your sheep will provide wool for clothing, your goats will provide the price of a field, and you'll have enough goat's milk for yourself and your family and your servant girls. He says, you need to know the state of your flocks. This was back in the day when most people's uh, wealth... Their, their bank was walking around in front of them eating grass. They would put all their wealth in their animals, and their animals would then be, be what would be, uh, make it possible for them to be able to buy a field or to be able to clothe their family or to whatever. This is true with the Pokot. We had uh, Julius Murgor with us uh, uh, recently, and he's from the Pokot region in Kenya, and many of the agricultural or the, the semi-nomadic tribes all of their wealth is in their cows and in their goats and in their sheep, and they're everywhere. And so the Pocot people are that way. You can get a, a good goat, cost you maybe about 40 bucks, 50 bucks is what it's worth. And so you see maybe some guy out there, and he'd have 100 goats in front of him, and they would say, wow, that's a wealthy man. And if he needed to do something, he needs to you know, buy some land or pay a bill, he goes and he sells a goat. And in that culture, uh, uh, they, they give a dowry, to be able to win a wife. And so they go and negotiate with the father. So in America, we've got it easy. You know, you go and you say to the dad, hey, dad, I I love your daughter. I promise to take care of her. Can I have her hand in marriage? And he's like, yeah, whatever, right? No, not me. I'm like, right? That's what it's going to be with me. I'll be cleaning my guns every time the guy comes over. But uh, uh, that's what we do. But among the Pocop people, if you want a wife, you have to go and negotiate with the father, not just the father, but if the grandfather's alive, you have to negotiate with him and all the uncles. Right? So they sit down and they talk about this girl. And it's not because she's property. It's, it's uh, That dowry is her dowry. The family manages it. But if you die, which is what happens a lot, the men don't have very long lifespans. And so uh, if you die, then that dowry takes care of that woman. It's kind of like her retirement. And so what they would do is they negotiate for her value. And, and they're not selling her. They're setting her up for, for security in the future. And so young man come in and, and uh, uh, maybe negotiate, you know, 12 goats and 3 cows or whatever. And so one of my friends over there, his name's Festus, and uh, uh, the first couple times I was there, he was single. And I'd ask him, Man, what's wrong with you? You can't find a woman? There's women all over around here. You can't find a woman? He's like, No, I'm broke. I don't have any goats. <laughs> I said, Do you have your eye on a girl? He says, Yes. There's this beautiful where he starts telling me all about this girl. She lives up in the mountains not far from Lamut where, we where we've helped build a school. Festa starts telling me about this girl. And, and uh, he'd been talking with the father. And, uh, uh, you know, it was going to be really something. And, and you know, uh, so I was asking him, I said, how, much, how, how many goats does it normally take or, or, or sheep or cows does it normally take to, to get a really good wife? And he's like, you know, uh, a dozen cows or maybe, you know, 25 goats, something like that. I said, what do you think this girl's like? And He said, oh, she's a 40 goater, easy. (laughs) I wanted to text my wife, baby, you are a 50 goat girl. (laughs) So they don't think about carrying money around in their pockets. They don't think about having money in the bank. They think, here's my wealth, it's in front of me, my goats. I need to breed them well, I need to feed them well, I need to protect them. I need to manage them. I need to make sure that they, they are, are healthy and we got to get them their shots and we got to take care of them and protect them from predators and from, from raiders and all those things, right? Because that's their wealth. And this is what this verse is talking about is know the state of your flocks. He says, no, no, understand all the details of all the things you're managing. Manage them well. If you manage them well, it'll build more wealth for you. This is the way it works with goats. You know, The boy goats and girl goats, they like each other. Next thing you know, you have baby goats. Right, You manage them well and it'll grow and it'll expand. Your, your wealth will expand. And the Bible says, know the state of your flocks because there's no guarantee that wealth is going to be passed on from generation to generation. There's no guarantee that there's going to be wealth tomorrow that somebody's going to give to you. He says, manage it well. Know the state of your flocks. That is, know what you have, know how much you have, and know what you're doing with it all and what it's doing for you. And then here's a few ideas about it. Money management requires a plan. That's what the Bible's talking about. You need to know the state of your flocks. You need to plan for it. You need to work hard, stay focused on it. Money management always requires a plan. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 14. He says, "'Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. "'Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost "'to see if he has enough money to complete it? "'Because if he lays the foundation, "'is not able to finish, "'and everyone who sees it will ridicule him, "'saying, psh, this fellow began to build "'and was not able to finish.'" Jesus said, if you're going to do something, you've got to sit down and count the cost. You've got to sit down and make a plan. Jesus values planning so you don't get in the middle of something not be able to finish it. And so you don't bring shame to yourself. Make a good plan and execute on the plan. Success doesn't just happen. It's not a, something that happens by accident. If you want to succeed, you have to set goals and you have to establish a plan to accomplish those goals. And Jesus was a huge fan of of planning well. He goes on, he talks about if you're a king and, or a general and you're getting ready to go into battle, you need to measure. Do I have enough soldiers to go into this battle to, to fight against these other people? And there's many, many times where Jesus talks about planning, taking a, a stock of the assets that you have and figure out, do you have what it takes to pull off this next thing? So money management requires a plan. Also, wise people save money. Wise people save money. The Bible is really clear on this. It talks a lot about saving and this really, quite honestly, it's not a lack of, lack of income for most of us. For most of us, it's, it's how we use it. It's the rate of outgo. Most of us just don't have a plan for saving. But the Bible says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. Stores means you stored it up. You saved it, right? In the house of the wise, there's savings of choice food and oil. But a foolish man devours all he has. Let me put it in today's terms. It says, if you spend everything you make, you're a fool. That's what the Bible says. Don't get mad at me. I, I, I'm just quoting God on that one, right? But th- that's what he says. If you spend everything you make, you're living foolishly. Wise people store some away. They plan for the future. Wise people. So God says, don't be a fool. Be a smart person. Be an intelligent person. Be a wise person. So wise people save money. And then building wealth, which is, should be And it's not an ungodly goal. It should be a goal of every Christian, everybody sitting in this room, building wealth. It takes time and it takes discipline. Building wealth takes time and discipline. The Bible says a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies ends up in poverty. The trustworthy person will get a rich reward, but a person who wants quick riches will get into trouble. If you're always chasing some kind of get-rich-quick scheme, it's always going to end up the vast majority of times, it's going to end up as a train wreck. He says a hard worker is the one who's going to have plenty. A, a trustworthy person, being steady, going ahead and having some discipline, and, and over time, you build wealth. There's no such thing as a get rich quick. It's not about uh, suddenly just hitting it. That's not a good retirement plan, hoping that you hit the lotto, right? One in 400 million or whatever it is, Right? Your goal should be to get rich faithfully. Not to get rich quick. God, I just want to get rich faithfully. God's sending enough through me to build wealth. The, the, uh, Einstein talked about this, and, and I was just talking about this with, with my son uh, not long ago. Einstein said that the most powerful force in the universe is the force of compound interest. That's true for those of you who understand that, right? Don't you wish you start, started putting away $200 every single month when you were 20? By the time you're 65, you'd have a million and a half dollars in the bank, right? Because of compound interest. When you're making interest off of your interests, 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 you're making some jack, right? It takes time. It's not about getting rich quick. It's about getting rich faithfully. It's about setting a plan in your life and laying that plan out in a way that you can execute honestly and faithfully and do it in in a solid way and understand that God says, I will bless you when you do things my way. So here's the plan. This is the plan that we're laying out for you. And this is my last big pitch for this because we're diving into it uh, uh, headfirst next week. And that is this. The plan is what we're calling, uh, what, what Dave Ramsey calls Financial Peace University. This is a mechanism. It's a tool he's put together uh, to help people, not just Christians, but he uses tremendous biblical principle, a lot of scripture in it, to teach us how to manage our money Wisely, God has a plan for your money. And and his plan isn't, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Right? That's not God's plan. God's pouring out his blessings. You and I, we live in America. We are blessed. Period. We're blessed. He's pouring out our blessings. The Bible talks about how he throws open the gates of heaven and he just begins to rain blessings down on us. However, according to the Wall Street Journal, 7 out of 10 Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Again, it's not an income issue for most of us. It's an outgo issue for most of us. Gallup poll found that only 32% of Americans could cover a $5,000 emergency without having to borrow money. Only one in three of us could cover an emergency costing $5,000 without having to go and borrow money from somebody. So literally millions of dollars will pass through your hands in your lifetime. And yet, most of us couldn't cover a $5,000. Why? Because our master, MasterCard, or our master visa says, no, you can't use that money for this. As a matter of fact, you owe me more, right? So I, I, I loaned you 100, but now you're going to owe me 250 back. Right? That's loan sharking is what's going on. And the loan sharks are telling us, no, you can't save up because what they do is they give us just enough to keep us trapped all the time. So many people I know, they wind up finally finding a way to pay off their credit cards, and then the very next week they're, out eat, you know, they're eating out uh, with the credit card. Right? or buying something new with the credit card, and, and they, they give us just enough, uh, just enough rope to hang ourselves with. And so then the master says, no, you can't do this. And next thing you know, we don't have any real savings or safety net in our life. So as a nation, we're spending far more than we're making, and, and we're moving backwards financially, many of us. God's blessings are flowing in our life, but we're letting them slip through our fingers. The normal condition for the average American includes debt, It includes no savings. It includes very little retirement. And it includes a paycheck-to-paycheck way of life. That's the normal for America. Normal in North America is broke. We're the wealthiest people in in the history of the world, but normal is broke. So I don't want to be normal anymore. I guess that's it for for all of us. And I'm included in this. It's not like I'm an expert in this. I'm learning from Dave, too, and from other people who've, who've begun to speak into my life on this. I don't want to be normal. If normal is broke and stressed, I don't want to be normal. I want to be free. And I think that's the way most people are. I'm willing to be weird. If if normal is broke, then let me be different. Let me be weird in this one. It's time to introduce a new kind of normal to the world. And I think that the church, I think Heritage Church should lead the way. It's time for a change. And I think that that change starts right here. It's right now for our community, for our group of people. Maybe we can find the way out based on what God has to say. So over the next several weeks, our church is going to embark on this, I think, really life-changing journey. We're diving into the Financial Peace University thing. It's going to last about eight weeks. We're going to talk about how to manage our money, how to communicate with our spouse about money. (laughs) Which, by the way, we have marriage counseling classes as well. Right? That's the number one thing we fight about. It's one of the top, thi- top three things we fight about is money. So not just that you need to manage money, because some of you, you know, there's two of you, uh, you know, husband and wife sitting here. One of you is like, yes, we're finally going to talk about how to manage money. The other one's like, Argh. right? That's the way it works usually. Opposites attract. So we're going to talk about how to communicate with your spouse about money. We're going to talk about how to get out of debt and some really great tools and mechanisms to help you so it's not so painful. We're going to talk about how to save for emergencies and how to plan for college if you're in that situation getting ready for your kids or how to plan for retirement. We're going to talk about how to find the right kinds of insurance and the best way to manage our money with all of these other things that we have to we must have in our lives. And ultimately we're going to talk about how to change your family tree once and for all. How from you on things can be different in your family, that you can be building wealth and teaching your children, your teenagers and your children, how to build wealth as well, to be free. And literally hundreds of thousands of families across the country have gone through this same program, this Financial Peace University. So the average family that winds up completing it, after a 90-day period, the average family pays off $5,300 in debt and saves $2,700 in the first 90 days. That's an $8,000 swing. Think about the difference in your life with that, Now, maybe yours would be different. Maybe it'll be more, maybe it'll be less. But just think, if you could pay off a substantial amount of debt and shift to a significant amount of savings in a short amount of time and learn the, the, the tools to be able to move forward, how powerful would that be? <clears throat> there was a great Christian guy who had a lot of impact on me when I was younger uh, named Larry Burkett. Uh, he recently or since has, has gone to heaven. But he used to say, show me your checkbook and I'll show you your priorities. Show me your bank statement, and I'll show you what your priorities are. Does your bank statement say that you're a generous giver? Does your bank statement say that you spend more than you make? Does it say that your children dictate your spending? Little dictators running around the house making demands, and you're like writing those checks. I know what it's like. I got teenagers. Hey, can I borrow 20 bucks? Can I borrow 20 bucks? Can I borrow 20 bucks? I'm like, yeah, here's 20, 20. It dawns on me. Why does he say, can I borrow 20 bucks? You're never going to pay that back dictators does it say that does does your your bank statement say that saving money for emergencies and retirement is a priority for you does your bank statement say that God's ways are my ways and I choose to do things as well does your bank statement say you're free or does your bank statement say you have a half dozen or a dozen slave owners that are directing your every move together we're going to walk through this I think really amazing journey and you're going to see some, stru- some very dramatic changes, I think, in your family. And I think, ultimately, in our church family as a whole. It won't just be one or two. It's dozens and dozens. We already have a lot of people at Heritage Church that have gone through this, this series that have incredible stories. And we'll be sharing those stories about how people began to find freedom. So we're just going to lock arms. We're going to trust that God is going to do what he promises to do. And we're going to boldly embrace his principles, his ideas for managing the money that he's given us. And I'm very excited about what we're going to discover together. So I'm asking you, won't you join us? It's not very expensive. Uh, Like we said, we're able to give you like almost a $40 discount. We were able to work out a really great deal with uh, Dave Ramsey's people. Comes down to like 10 bucks a week. It's not very expensive. I know this is a difficult time of year to fit it in, but we do the things that are important to us. What we're talking about is two hours at some point in the seven days each week for the next eight weeks, and I believe that you can be free. We had dozens, hundreds of people uh, uh, jump on board with this last week, and, and uh, so our groups are filling up very quickly. If you're interested in hosting a group, uh, make sure you stop out in the lobby and talk to somebody about it. If you're interested in, in just jumping in on a group, those are filling up very quickly, but we still have some room for you uh, because they're kicking off this week. So, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with us. We know that you are, but help us to be aware that you're with us at all times with regard to the way that we manage our finances, with our own hearts, the way that we fall in love with stuff or fall in love with some new shiny thing. And then we wind up getting into a situation where we're willing to leverage and even sacrifice our future for the immediate. God, help us to build wealth your way. You're not saying to say no always. You're saying to do things the right way so we can say yes. God, I pray that we would find real freedom in you as we choose to go your way. Help us to have an understanding that this life doesn't last very long. There's a day when we're going to stop counting our dollars. So God, help us to make it count today in this life. In Jesus' name we pray.